Glad you are here. <laughs> Glad that you are here on the way into all of our campuses. You're handed the notes. Grab those while you do that. Let me uh, do these two things. Welcome all of our campuses, Lone Tree, Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, Lakewood, the folks that live stream us, and the people that will be listening in the next couple of weeks. However you do that, you're part of the greater JFC family, and we really are glad that you're able to join us for worship. I uh, want to give you an update real quick. It's in the form of a video. It's the easiest way for us to do it, so watch this real fast. The problem is the creeks can't hold the water that's coming down. You can see from the debris, it's been up over this bridge. President Obama approved federal disaster aid for the flooded areas. At least three people are dead, and another is the deal a year ago, right around this time, maybe not, not quite, there was a, uh, a historic flood in Colorado. You've seen about it uh, on the news, and it wiped out so many people uh, up along the Front Range going up towards Boulder and uh, up towards Estes Park and all that area right there. Well, we had stood up and said, hey, it's an opportunity for all churches to be able to come and to, to show aid in this time. And of course, one church can't meet every need that's up there. It's just, it's too much. But one church can make a difference in one family's life. Do you believe that? So what we did was to pull the resource that you gave. You gave $40,000, and uh, we just asked the Lord, show us the family that you want us to, to help, to partner with. And there were so many, so many that would have qualified. We, we really just absolutely needed God to show us, and he did. He brought us a family, connected us to a family, uh, not a family that belongs to our church, by the way. In fact, let me make this statement. They're not even believers. But how many of you think uh, opportunity for the church to show Christ to non-believers presents itself whenever we listen to God. And so this is a family, they're not even believers. We're not doing this with any hook in it. We're not doing it, hey, come to church. We, we pick them because God sent them to us. Uh, we were able to stand before you. Their bridge was washed out as they were trying to rebuild. It took another uh, uh, $11,000. You gave that. So we're watching this house being rebuilt. And right at the first of the year, everything should be done. But what we're trying to do is to show you as we go along updates as to where some of your money, when you give it towards projects, missions, and, and different things that we do both uh, locally and abroad, here's where it goes to. So when we get all done with this, we ask the family, would they come uh, when the project's done and could, could they, um, would they submit themselves to an opportunity for you to meet them? So when it's all said and done, we'll have them in church. And what I'd like to do, I'd like to have them stand and I'd like to give them a standing ovation. So let's just prepare for that now. But it's a great way for us to do ministry, to really be the hands, uh, the, the feet, um, uh, all, all together the body of Christ for, for different people. So I wanted to thank you. All right, let's, uh, let's go ahead and we'll jump in. We're in a series called Lies, and it's actually the fourth part of the series right here. 
here. Uh, I'm going to pick it up. If you look at your notes right here, I put many truths are one truth. You know, today it's probably one of the uh, more difficult things when you're teaching on lies or truth. That's where so many people today in the world struggle with. How do we know that there's only one version of truth? There seems to be so many paths and so many, so many ideas of what truth is. And I found a scripture this week. Now, I know, look, I know many of you, you've already, I, I, I don't feel like I need to sit and debate that issue with most of you. I know that most of you have already made up your mind about that. But I found something this week that I thought was really interesting that I would share to you. And I'm not sure that Jesus meant it progressively, but I'm going to teach it progressively real quick. Uh, Jesus in John 14, 6, look, you can, he said, uh, I am the, read this with me, I am the the and the All right, now, so he presents it, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. I know he doesn't go, hey, number one, I'm the way, number two, I'm the truth, and last but not least, I'm the life. I know he doesn't say it that way, but let's look at it from this point of view. When a person decides that Jesus is the way, doesn't it automatically then lead you into the truth? And once you enter into his truth, the proof of that you're right is the life that comes with it, yes or no? And I wonder if that's not the very secret behind everything that we're trying to teach right now. If you can make up your mind. Somebody was like, if I could just figure out what the right way is. He's the way. Truth is not some level of theology that your brain becomes smart about. He's the truth. So that if you pick him, you'll know the truth. And that's when Jesus said the truth woman, a relationship with Christ sets you free. That's the deal with this. I just sort of like that, and I thought, you know, that would really encapsulate how I would try to teach a person. Don't sit here and try to debate over and over, well, this truth and that truth. Pick the way, and let the way tell you whether or not it was the truth, and you'll know it's the truth by the fruit or the life that you get from it or the death that you get from it. Does that make sense? All right, all right, so let's go ahead. We will, uh, we will jump in uh, to this point. Under the transition, I'm going to talk about the renewed mind today, the renewed mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, probably the most concise and clear understanding that the Bible gives us. When Paul uh, teaches on the mind, and there are several places where he teaches on different aspects, the imagination, uh, what we believe, what we say, how we think. But this is one right here where he goes to, to maybe the base level of how our minds are supposed to work. So Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul's writing, by the way, to a church, and that's important because he's saying this, the context of it is to a particular group of people, to believers. So Paul, uh, he he writes these words, uh, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And here's the purpose or the reason for having your mind renewed so that you then can prove what is that good, pleasing and perfect will of God. Your translation may say uh, the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. It, it's all the same. It's just different words, adjectives, to describe the will of God as being good, pleasing, and perfect. What I like about it, though, is that automatically he's teaching a group of believers, so we have to acknowledge this, that you can be a believer and not automatically have your mind renewed. That's right. So just because, just because you pick Jesus as the way doesn't mean that automatically your mind is renewed. There's a process that has to happen where your mind has to be renewed. And in fact, I think he's actually teaching these two things. If your mind is not being renewed, right, then it's not being transformed. And he uses the word, look at this, don't be conformed. In other words, there's a pressure out there to be this way, but if if you have your mind renewed, you can be this way. I don't think you can be Switzerland neutrally when it comes to the way that you think. 
So you have to choose. And if you don't choose, you're actually choosing to be pressed into the mold of this world in the way they think. Versus if you have your mind renewed, you're allowing God then to renew your mind so that you think the way that, really, the renewal of the mind could be said this way. Have your mind renewed so that you think thoughts that God thinks. And I heard a guy say one time, it is so expensive to think outside of the way God thinks if you're a believer. It costs you so much. And that's a different message for a different time. But I like the idea where he's teaching believers this is not an automatic. It's something you have to choose. You choose to have your mind renewed. And the reason is so that you'll know the will of God. Not only, A, that it's a good, pleasing, and perfect, but you'll think the right thoughts about God. So if I was going to take the message, I'll go in two ways tonight, and this is where I'll try to uh, teach you just a little bit. Number one, the greatest reason for renewal is so that we know God's will in every situation. How many of you would love to know God's will in every situation? Do you believe it's possible? I mean, that would be maybe first and four. I know some of us are like, you just can't know God's will in every situation. Yes, you can. According to this, you can. You can. You can know God's will. But then the other thing is that I think that when Paul is teaching, Paul sees the will of God as good, pleasing, and acceptable. And that would be the other reason to have your mind renewed. Number one, so that you can know God's will. But number two, so that you think correctly about God to begin with. The very thing that's broken in all of humanity through the fall is the way that we think about God. Let me say that one more time. Listen. The number one thing that was broken in the fall of humanity is the way that we think about God. So let me prove that to you. So Adam and Eve had this really awesome relationship with God. He creates them. He puts them in the perfect environment. He gives them instructions to take care. He gives them a yes on everything and one no. A yes on everything and one no. Shouldn't that be enough? And of course, they do the one no, and it results in the fall of mankind. Now, the Bible doesn't go into how... how uh, how, how detailed this was. We just get little snippets of it, little, little pictures of it. But it begins to tell the story that once man did his own thing, when, when Eve listened to the enemy and then she talked to Adam and Adam listened to the enemy through his wife, they both fell. The very first thing that they did was to hide from God. It's number one. The Bible records that God came like he did every other day in the cool of the day to walk with the man and the woman. The very word walk there is not to come and walk like let's go in a direction. It's to walk, hang out. In the Hebrew, it literally means to hang out. God came to hang out with his creation. God didn't show up with the idea of, hey, uh, something's changed. Now, God knows everything. This is one of those things that's hard to just picture. But God shows up like everything's fine. And the man and the woman are hiding. And God has to ask the question, number one, where are you? You remember? And I know this to be true, that whenever God asks us a question, it's not because he lacks knowledge. He's usually trying to get us to realize something. What's changed here? God God has shown up like he always has. Hey, let's hang out. And the man and the woman are hiding from the presence of God. Something changed in the way they thought that caused them to fear because in rather than running to God, now they run from God. Rather than running to God, now they run from God. And the number one thing that is broken in the fall of man is the way that we think about God. 
How does it manifest itself? When things go wrong, we tend to think that God is somehow... We love to connect dots back to God. Like, if God is faithful, this wouldn't have happened to me. That's broken thinking. Or if God really loved me, this wouldn't have gone on this way. Or if God is really all-powerful, or if his will is good, then I would have never suffered a setback. Now, think with me for just a moment here. That, that if God really is who he says he is and does what he, he keeps his promises, then why am I divorced? Why was I betrayed? Why did my finances go south? If God's will is always good, pleasing, and perfect according to you, you're saying renew your mind so that you'll know God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect in all things. Then why is the evidence in my life point contrary to that? It doesn't point contrary to the fact that God is not good. It points to the proof that your mind is broken in the way you think. What you're doing. Some people go like this. If I had been Adam and Eve, I would have never done what they did. <laughs> Anybody ever thought that way? Thank you. you. I honor you and I bless you. And I call you a truthful, righteous, upright woman. And what does that say about everybody else in the room who did not raise their hand right? Have you ever thought I would have done it different? Well, here's the deal. You do the exact same thing when you think that God's will is anything but good, pleasing, and perfect. It's the proof of broken humanity. Because here God would come. Look, we have, to, we have to draw a little bit of conclusion here. God would come every day to hang out with the It must have been so good that they couldn't wait to be with him. And now we have in one moment it's changed. They hide from him. That's the broken. There's the proof it's broken. We now hide from God. And whether we hide behind religion that allows us a formality to approach God without ever having to really approach God or through anger. You ever hear people who deny his existence but the way they do it is to rail against how horrible it is? Do you understand what I mean by that? Mostly, if you really didn't believe, you should be left ambivalent, not angry. Well, there's another message. I don't, I don't know if I can go after that one right now. People that want to separate God from government, their argument is never based on a rational argument. It's based on emotional anger, if you ever listen to them. Why are they so angry about something that doesn't exist? Okay, never mind. Never, just, just the way my mind goes. Here's also the way my mind goes. I think my dog's going blind. And I told my wife, how come dogs don't have seeing eye dogs? There's just a thought. All right. Just a, it's just the way my mind goes. Wouldn't that be cool? A dog with a seeing eye dog. All right, ne never mind. Uh, It actually went down the hill, but I don't want to offend blind people, so let me stay here in this. The reason for renewal, then, is to know God's goodwill. Paul sees the will of God as always good, pleasing, and acceptable. And the greatest area of renewal needed, then, is how or what we think about God. Genesis 3.8 is the scripture that I was just referring to. Look at it real quickly, just so that you see it. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Uh, the only way they know that it's God is because it's familiar to them. 
So by that implication, this is what God does. He created man so that he could hang out with him. Man could know him and he could know man. And by the way, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, whereby we, we persuade people to be reconciled to God. But when was the last time we were actually reconciled to God? I just want you to think for a minute. When was the last time humanity was reconciled to God? Where was it? No. No, 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 no. The cross fixed what was broken. But we were consiled with God where? So when Jesus is reconciling us to God, his ministry of reconciliation is to put us back to the place of original intent, which is God created you to know him and to be known by him and to be in relationship with him so that if you are reconciled to God, you don't run from him, you run to him. The process then of reconciliation must be a mind that is renewed so that in God's presence, you don't run from, you run to or toward. So Paul calls us to be reconciled. Are you following me on this? To be reconciled more than anything else so that the presence of God is enjoyed in a person's life. So if you sit here today and you go, I I, I feel sort of ambivalent about that. I bet you don't even know what the presence of God really is like then. That's an indictment, not a mean one, but the truth of the matter, because if you're ambivalent about the presence of God, it's because you've never entered the presence of God. Here's what he says about himself. At my right hand, at my right hand, my presence are pleasures forevermore. Can you imagine? And yet we see God sometimes as so burdensome and so formal and so, there's got to be something good there, but... In his presence is joy. And at his right hand, pleasures forevermore. Now, there must be something so wonderful about the presence of God. And I think even teaching it, if it leaves you ambivalent, is because you don't experience the presence of God. God. It's like trying to teach somebody about fast. I've said this before, but unless you go fast... How would you ever describe fast to somebody so that they knew? Well, it's kind of like, and you go, and it's really exhilarating. But fast has to be experienced to be known. The presence of God could never be taught about. To be really known, it must be experienced. This is the broken. This is why the enemy will allow you to be taught as long as it never transforms in your heart. Because once in your heart, boy, it's the landing place for the reality of the presence of God to happen. See, here's the falseness of religion. You could even say amen about the presence of God as long as you don't experience it. The devil doesn't care. But the day you experience it, it changes everything. Hmm. So if anything goes off in you, like I would really like to experience the presence of God, the renewed mind is the vehicle by which we experience the presence of God. The renewed mind. All right, let me give you two things you really need to know about the renewed mind. This is what I have found to be true. Let me just see if I can show you something that I think might help today. Number one, the enemy loves to lie to you in your area of gifting and anointing. So let me, let me just, that may not make sense, but let me point two things out to you. And maybe, maybe this will help. 
I wrote it this way. Where you struggle the most is probably a clue to what the devil is trying the hardest to keep you from getting to. All right, all right. so Jesus. Uh, get this picture. Jesus comes uh, to John the Baptist. He comes out of Galilee, comes down to the Jordan. And the Bible tells us he wants to be baptized. And John's like, no, 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 you baptize me. And Jesus is like, this has to be done to fulfill scripture. So Jesus is baptized. And you, you remember what happens when he comes up out of the water, the heavens are open, and the Father audibly speaks out loud and says these three things. This is this is my son. This is the very first word that is given publicly to Jesus in front of everybody. Now, we know that God, Jesus never did anything apart from God, so Jesus has heard God's voice all along, but this is the first time everybody else has heard it. This is my son whom I love with him. I'm well pleased. But the very first promise or anointing on Jesus is, you are the son. And then the Bible says immediately, immediately, no rest, no break, no vacation, no time off. Immediately. The Spirit of God leads, the, leads Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the enemy. And the enemy comes to Jesus, and the very first thing that the enemy does is to hit him in the area where he's anointed. If you are the Son. What did God say? You are the Son. But the very area where the enemy comes to get Jesus is the point where he's most... You are the Son. And that's the thing that the devil comes to cause him to question. If you are the Son, turn this rock into bread. If you are the son, throw yourself off this temple. Angels will uphold you. If you really are, prove it right now. The very area I bet where the enemy attacks you the greatest is actually a clue to your destiny and purpose in God. But we find ourselves so struggling with the issues we never see beyond, so the lie is what gets us. All right, in life, for me, Here's what the enemy on a constant basis accuses me, berates me, lies to me, whispers, screams it, tries to prove it in everything that goes wrong. Quit. Quit. Someone else could do it better than you. Someone else could take it further than you. A constant barrage of just quit. Quit, and then he proves it to me by every little thing that goes wrong. See? But here's what I know the truth is. Everything that we have right now exists because I did hear from God. And because I did stand up and do what God told me to do. And because regardless of what the devil says, I know my anointing rests when I get up and do what God told me to do, not when I listen to the devil. He's the way, he's the truth, and it leads me to Life, But if I listen to the lie, it cuts me off from doing what he told me to do. And now what am I left with? So if I quit, what happens? A free fall. A free fall in my personal life. A free fall with my family. A free fall with all of the people that count on me. A free fall. Here's what I will do. Blame God. Oh, you were so unfaithful to me. But God didn't have anything to do with it. I gave in to the lie. Here's how good the liar is when he can lie to you and you listen and blame God for the lie. That's how good the liar is. When he can lie to you and you listen and then blame God for the lie. Does it make sense? So why can't we see it then and not battle it? Because it cannot be beaten in an unrenewed mind. An unrenewed mind is fighting against a force that has no power 
to come up against. You will lose without a renewed mind. The renewed mind knows the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God regardless of circumstance, feeling, and evidence. But if this doesn't get renewed, you are subject to your feelings. Okay, I'm subject to my feelings. I know that you're above that. I'm subject to evidence. And I'm subject to circumstance. And may I tell you that some of the most difficult thing in Christendom is walking through circumstance without it pulling you from your place. I don't know if you just heard what I said. It may be the most difficult thing in serving Christ is to continue walking in your place. Really, the devil has no ability to knock you out. He doesn't have the authority to come and move you out of place. He has the ability to talk to you, and if you agree, you move out of place. If you can just keep walking with a renewed mind, he can't beat you. He cannot beat you. But the moment you listen, you empower the lie. Jesus said it this way, John 10, 10. The thief has one purpose. He doesn't come for any other reason except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. If you find any place in your life where there's death, there's destruction, or there's anything that's been stolen, it's not the proof that God has been unfaithful, it's the proof you have an enemy. So the, the manifestation of this scripture is not God's weakness in the universe. Not at all. It's the proof that God already is telling you this is going to happen, so here's how you overcome it. But how many believers, this stops them? Something gets stolen. Something dies. Something is destroyed. And it serves as the proof that God is not good, faithful, or righteous. You have an enemy. Why don't we ever get mad and blame the enemy? Why do we always go God? Why do we always try to connect the dots this way instead of this way? Let me give you the second thing here very quickly. So the enemy loves to lie to you in your area of gifting and anointing. Number two, you overcome the lie when you practice the truth. One of the easiest ways to do Spiritual warfare. Listen to me. You don't have to scream. You don't have to yell. You don't have to spit. <laughs> Although if you want to, go for it. I don't think that God's like, oh, that's unacceptable. Do it any way you want to do it. But I don't think you have to do it that way. Here's, here's the most simple form of spiritual warfare. Do the opposite of what the enemy wants you to do. Yeah, Let me say that one more time. Do the opposite of what the enemy wants you to do. All right, case in point. Here's a scripture. See if this makes sense to you right here. So uh, Jesus is teaching. It's a principle that seldom do we understand it. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. What a powerful little scripture, and yet how difficult is it to do it? So why in the world, why doesn't he say, smack those who curse you? <laughs> 
and throw a rock at those who make you mad. How many of you could do that? Like, I can do that, because that's flesh. So easy to do it. All right, let me, let, me, let me qualify this. Listen, listen, listen. The byproduct of obedience is always freedom. No, now listen, listen, this is really good. The byproduct of obedience is always freedom. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. free. All right, listen. Lies always have one purpose in mind, to enslave you. Truth always has one goal, to set you free. The byproduct of obedience is always freedom. Why does Jesus tell us to bless those who curse us? It's not so they get away with it. It's so that it lets us be free. Here's what I've learned. I have so many opportunities every day to hate people. (laughs) Anybody else? No, tell me the truth. Listen, I don't know if you understand. I'm a pastor. I could hate thousands of people. (laughs) And I could make thousands of people hate me. There's a principle here that Jesus tells us to do things. And when we're obedient to him, the byproduct is not that the person gets away with it or that we are wimps. The byproduct is freedom. Truth sets free. Obedience produces freedom. When I bless, you cannot own me. No matter what you do to me, I, if, I, if I choose. Now listen, listen. This is not emotional because God knows. I'm going to tell you the truth right now. To really bless somebody when they do you wrong, there's the ability to just conform to it. I bless you. But if you do it in the heart, there comes an emotional freedom where you can let the situation go so that you don't live locked into the thing that happened to you. Because here's what I know to be true. There are things in my life that have offended me that if I keep myself offended, I never move on from that place no matter how old I get. But if I can bless, it produces freedom so that, now remember, I can keep walking. One of the ways he attacks, right, is to get us to do the thing he wants us to do. When we listen to him, it gets us off our path. When we listen to God, it keeps us on our path. Do I make sense? God, now doesn't that sound so stinking simple? Oh, and there's the rub of having to be in power. If you could live the Christian life by yourself, we don't need Jesus. But you can't do any of this by yourself. Put it to the test. Go out tonight and be nice. Just go be nice. No matter what happens, be nice. And find out how nice you are. At some point, This is the inner work, look, we laugh, but the inner work of the Holy Spirit is to really bless someone who curses you. Let's be honest here. How hard is that? This isn't mumbo jumbo. This isn't, God, to be a believer, you've got to have a backbone, like a crowbar. The devil doesn't fear you hearing the word. He fears if you believe and do the word. Because that's when you become powerful. That's when you defeat him. That's when he can't stop you. That's when the works that he tries to produce are knocked low. 
James says it this way, do not merely listen to the word, and what's the word? How about, could I insert the word lie? Do not merely listen to the word and then so lie to yourself. Is that fair? Do what it says, because when you do what it says, the byproduct of obedience is freedom. freedom. Always. Always. Always, always. Okay, at the end of my message, normally we close out our messages this way. We, we a few years ago, decided we don't want to just like make this some, um, so like whatever happens, happens. Let's be very on purpose. So we build crosses, and we, we, we build an altar. We offer communion every week and places where you can, you know, the, the candles are just so it's a focused place of prayer. That's all. We just simply, all, all they ever represent is that Jesus is light and darkness. That's all it represents. We offer ways so that people can respond to God. So I've got one this week we've never done before. And I'm going to go someplace I've never gone before. And I'm going to hope you trust me right now. So our worst team's going to come at all of our campuses right now, and they've got a song we're going to close with. But a form of worship is giving. And we have so minimized giving in our church that we've taken the worship out of it. So I asked last week, hey, this week we're going to give to Israel. And I asked those who were here to pray about it. We even sent out a thing this week. If you didn't get it because you're not on the mailing list, get on the mailing list. So that here's what I want you to do. I need two things from you. The first one is if you're prepared in this offering to give, worship the Lord right here. And then as an act of that worship, go and give. Give. Giving is an act of worship, and I'm going to read you a scripture here to prove it. Do that. And the other thing that I want to share with you very quickly is simply this. So a year ago, even right when we took the offering for that house that was beat up by the flood, our church seemed to, at that time, go through like a financial setback. And I bring it to the church, and the giving's just really crazy, and then summertime rolls around, and we're almost right back where we were a year ago. And I hate that because I try to minimize this issue so much in our lives, and yet, don't squirm right now. How'd you like to be me? I've got to listen to God right now. Would you consider praying and asking God about your giving? God, can you even connect the two things together? Hmm. Listen to this. When the wise men went to visit Jesus... Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. It says, They went in, saw the child with his mother Mary, and then bowed down and began to worship him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, incense, and myrrh, and then departed and went on their way. Yes or no, giving is a form of worship when we see Jesus. I am sincerely asking you to surrender this part of your life too. Don't downplay me right now. Don't agree with me with everything else I said and not have renewed thinking about this area of your life too. Pastor, can we really end that way? We're going to do it right now. 
So we're going to worship during this song at all of our campuses. And as we worship, when you feel like, okay, I'm done worshiping God, come on, man. When I'm done worshiping God, feel free to go, give. And then we're done. Hang out in the foyer, grab coffee, go to your car, do whatever you want to do at that point. But that's how we're going to end our service. It's a chance for us just to concentrate here and then use this as a way to connect and worship God. I go to Israel this Wednesday. I'd love to bring about fifty dollars or $60,000 to give away to ministries in Israel this year. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome? Go ahead and stand to your feet, and we'll close with that right there.